Welcome back to Atlanta Diaries. I'm your host Enma Popley. Thank you for joining me. In Atlanta Diaries, we celebrate unique and inspiring stories of breakthrough women to help future generations create their own. If you want to know more about Atlanta or listen to more episodes, you can visit my website www.enmapopley.com. You can also share feedback or suggestions there. Today I have the honor of introducing Tanya Hartlittle, the co-founder of Hart Commercial. With 35 years of experience in commercial real estate, Tanya has built marketing and asset management platforms for leading companies across North America. In 2009, Tanya founded Hart Advisors Group, where she successfully completed over 11 billion dollars in commercial loan restructures and sales. Her expertise ranges from overseeing the commercial portfolio at G Capital to spearheading the marketing strategy for G Real Estate's lending platform. Tanya is passionate about mentoring. In fact, Alison Frizzo, who Tanya met through a mentoring relationship, is now her partner and together they co-founded the recent startup Heart Commercial. Tanya's exceptional achievements in business and dedication to mentoring have earned her several prestigious awards, including the DBJ Women in Business Award and Globe SD's Women of Influence Award. During our conversation today, Tanya shared her fascinating journey of finding purpose and meaning, showcasing her lifelong commitment to learning and growth. Without further ado, let's delve into the journey of this trailblazer in commercial real estate. Hi Tanya, a very warm welcome to Atlanta Diaries. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I am so tempted to ask this one question which can get tricky sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. You got married when you were only 19. You were not even a college graduate, but 40 years down the line, you've navigated so many different roles from a C-suite executive to an entrepreneur and to a mentor and many others. Please share with us what was the turning point and how and when did you find purpose? That was really such a beautiful question for you to ask. You know, it's funny because I don't know that we all know our journey, but I think when it comes down to this, I think a lot of it looking back is number one, my dad was very driven. He was an entrepreneur. And even though he had very, very little education, not even a high school education, he just had a lot of drive and purpose in his life, even though I'm not really sure he knew what all that purpose was. So I actually got married when I was 19 to my then husband today, which you met. And I wouldn't have recommended that to anyone, but when you don't know what to do and where you're going to go next, you think you just kind of okay, seems like a good idea right now. I think I'm in love. So anyway, we started on our journey to get jobs and work and everything else and it came apparent to me that we were two very different people over time. So I realized that he was very much an introvert, I was very much an extrovert. It's much more like my father than I thought and that I had a desire to personally want more for myself. The end. Okay? So, I started the journey not having a college degree but yet having everything in me to be successful. So, probably the first 10 years of my maybe 8 years of marriage and everything, I was trying to figure out well, what I even like to do. But everything that I touched, I seemed to do well at it, but I really didn't have a purpose and I thought a long time about what is my purpose. I guess there was a turning point. You know, I think that in business, there's a lot of things that we do to try to get ahead and GE was a wonderful diverse organization, but a very hard organization to excel in and survive in. And so you had to be very creative with resources to stand out and to really become a leader otherwise you kind of get lost in that big old middle 70% and it was just a job and so it was a choice to decide if that was best suited for you it was a good environment for me i think i learned a lot about becoming a leader at GE but part of that was trying to use those resources well 
as a leader of a business unit, you could choose to opt into a program called the FMP program, Financial Management Program. And it was basically a six-month rotation of college graduates coming out, being recruited into GE. And after two years of four six-month rotations, they were kind of seen as the best and the brightest and the up-and-coming leaders in GE. Mm -hmm. Didn't guarantee you a job, but that's how you got them. So me being creative and needing some headcount that I didn't have, I thought I was using them for just strictly my business needs, and it turned into my purpose, which was really pouring into these young adults in little six months increments. And they were showing me something. I was learning from them and they were learning from me. And I think after doing that a couple of years that I realized that that was the path that was put in front of me to really find my purpose. I can say that it was probably what kept me going in mentoring and that being something that I was proud of and felt like I was giving back. Tanya, you know, I can't not help notice that whenever you start any conversation, and I'm referring to even our earlier conversation, that it all becomes about your mentoring journey, you know, almost like you underestimate your other achievements. And uh, I'm tempted to backtrack a little bit, and I'd love you to share with us your journey from a contractor to an employee at GE. Well, absolutely. I'll just say this. It's funny that your comment was that because it's so true when I was thinking about some of the questions that you and I spoke about and everything, it all comes down to people as what's really made me successful. My daughter, having other people around me that believed in me, having feedback from these mentees, all of a sudden you realize that, yes, I mean, in most people's eyes, I've been a incredibly successful leader, businesswoman, that type of thing. But I think when I count my success, it really becomes people and giving back to those people. You know, I think leaders are born more than they're made. And so my dad, I believe, was a leader in his own right, at his own, if you will, educational level, experience level. He was a very, very influential man where he could participate. And I think we all have that in us. If we're born into that type of, I don't know if it's a personality, if you have leadership traits, if you just have drive and ambition, but there's something there, there's some kind of fire in the belly that we don't just excel as leaders in one area. Most of the time we excel and personal lives and we can excel in business lives and all types of things. You know, I had started work when I was 15 years old and kind of grew up doing kind of accounting jobs because just basically back then people were like, oh, become an accountant. So I started doing that and one thing leads to another and I'm going from just different types of business type jobs starting as secretaries or accountants and moving into management roles, mainly just for performance reasons. I always say I had good common sense, and I still do, and just worked hard. It was important. So I had my daughter when I turned 30, and that's about the time that the banking bust kind of happened again. And I was working for a financial institution, and found I was pregnant with her that nine months later I would be laid off. So it was kind of an interesting trajectory knowing like the day you find out you're pregnant that you're not going to have a job right when your baby delivers. And that was the first year that they enacted the Family Leave Act and women were too intimidated to even exercise that option, even though it was a right So for me, I had left the bank right at the time because there were all kinds of mergers going on right at the time that Taylor was born. And, you know, I really struggled. 
my mom was a stay-at-home mom and whether or not I should be a stay-at-home mom and what's the right thing personally to do for this new growing family that I had. And it didn't take me long to realize that as much as I loved being with her day in and day out, it really was not fulfilling anything personally for me. I just felt like there was more I needed to be doing. So I got a position with GE as a contractor. And at some point, probably a year or two, they started offering permanent jobs to actually do asset management and work out these deals. Now, I had no idea, really no thought as to GE or kind of as a company, as a conglomerate, as anything back then. And so I was just a young mom trying to figure my way, realizing I'm not going to be a stay-at-home mom. How am I going to, you know, balance being with my child and in a job that I had to start traveling? And I was just guilt-ridden, this distraught. But luckily, I had the support of my husband that we kind of just made a pack on the things we wanted for our daughter, how we wanted her to grow up. So I think just over time, you know, the happiness meter went up as I started traveling and fulfilling kind of my career goals. My husband, you know, had no desire to travel in his work. He's in finance. And so we really kind of came together as a team to say, okay, this is what life's going to look like. It's different than what we thought it was going to look like, but I think it's for the best. And it was. So I think a lot of trajectories happen just when you kind of start following your own journey and each journey is different. And I think you have to be really sound in what you believe and what you want for yourself and your family and your career and weigh those all out in a way that's thoughtful to each thing that you've committed to. And then you can start working on it. But I think that it takes a path. People say it takes a village. And each those decisions for us were very thoughtful decisions about how we moved forward. Yeah, I heard Team Taylor and, you know, (laughs) (laughs) thoughtful and intentional decisions. And, you know, the fact that you sort of identified what is it that you want for her, what is it that you want for the family and define that path. Yeah. So, Tani, what kind of obstacles came your way in G then? Was it an easy path or were there any challenges there? Oh, no, there were plenty of challenges there. I did not have a college degree when I started working for GE. And as a contractor, I don't think they really paid that much attention to background or anything like that. Then they hired me on, obviously, knowing me and knowing what my capabilities were as a full-time employee. And that itself led to challenges that were seen and unseen. Learning the GE culture was extremely challenging in that, you know, at that time, most people thought, well, you got really good at a job. And so they'd let you do that job because you were really good at what you did. But GE's leadership style was if you were identified as a leader and there were a lot of ways that they did that, then they really wanted you to lead teams regardless of what the product or service you were selling was. I was so young, but it was a whole new way of thinking for me because a lot of times I got asked to go into different departments and I didn't know anything about the actual service or product that I'd be providing, like marketing. They asked me to build a marketing division and I'd never run a marketing division. So that didn't seem to be a fit to me. But later I could realize that it wasn't so much about the product as it was if you could build people and you could build teams, you could bring in the expertise to actually learn the product. So part of it is doing something that you've never done before, but it's also led me to start things that I've never done before and not be afraid of that. So I think a lot of what we would call obstacles that I dealt with at GE also became learning and experiences that I would go on to do again and again and again without fear. 
So I call it one of my probably best. I was there 13 years out of my career. And I would say it was the number one learning experience that I had overall that probably helped me be the person I am today. It was just really great. I mean, you can never have that kind of diversity in not only people, but also in business divisions that just didn't exist at any other time in any other place. So it's not something that you could pay for, a learning you could pay for. It's only something you could experience. And then there were more personal things. I've probably been there a good five years or so when I had a female manager that I was working for and she was, I guess, writing my evaluation for that year and had discovered that I didn't have my college degree. And she called me out on it and said there were things and opportunities within the organization that I would never get to experience because I didn't have a college degree. It was like a light switch. All of a sudden, she realized that there was some characteristic about me that didn't exist. And all of a sudden, that changed her thinking and her judgment about what my capabilities could be. And I probably intentionally, number one, sought to finish my degree regardless of anything, just because I didn't want someone to be able to hold that against me. And then two, kind of set out to say, never say never. I did not let myself get put in some kind of category that said, you can't do something because you don't have a college degree. And I did go on to achieve all the things she said I couldn't achieve before I left. And one thing that I would pass on to so many people is, you know, each of us have biases about a lot of different things, whether we grew up with them or they were learned or we just have them ourselves. And don't let someone else's bias or opinion or something that you can't control become your destiny. Because it's not. We each have to kind of stand on our own two feet and say, you know what, I can do that. And I know I can do more. And some people want to do more. And some people want to say, tell me exactly what you want me to do. And I'll be the best B player ever. And we need those B players. And we need C players. We can't all be A players. So I think that as we all strive for what our success is and everything, I think we have to you know, so many people say be true to yourself, but it's really true. Like you're your best cheerleader in a way. I love that, Tanya. I'm so tempted to don my coaching hat and I'm wondering if there was somebody, <laughs> you know, today who yeah. was having this conversation with me. I would almost say like that lady, that naysayer actually helped you define your goals going forward. Because uh -huh. I heard you saying that everything she told me I cannot do, I made sure that I was able to do, you know. Exactly. <laughs> because people say the sky's the limit. It really is if you're passionate about a specific thing. Doesn't mean we can all do everything. But if there is something that you just love or it's your God-given talent, however you want to look at it, I mean, I think for those things, the sky is the limit because we want them so bad, you know, and we strive for them. And it was basically, why should someone else define what I can do? I know what I can do and what I can't do. And I was really determined, not for her. It wasn't about me saying, I can do this and not because you said I couldn't. It was much more about me saying, can I do it? And what would it take to do it? And how do I break that mold, right? I don't think anyone but me knew about it when I actually achieved those things, but they were personal to me because she made me not having that education personal. It wasn't about winning a race. It was more about, let me see if I can do this just on my own merit and my own intelligence and things like that. And then I got the degree. Yeah. Tanya, with the wisdom of hindsight, of course, we are having this conversation, which makes complete sense. But I'm sort of backtracking to 
Tanya, who was all of 30 years old at that time, or maybe even younger, right? What kind of emotions did you go through then? So when she said that you, you know, this, 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 this is what you will not be able to go through, you know, just because you don't have your college degree. I think the biggest emotion was probably defeat. I probably was disappointed in myself that I had not made it more of a priority to finish it because I knew I was going to finish it. But, you know, when you're young like that and you start making money and everything, then all of a sudden money becomes more important than going to school at night. And I was working full time. So, you know, I kind of held myself accountable for this conversation wouldn't be happening had you done what you should do and you knew you should do it. So I'm really big into accountability of my own and kind of self-respect reflection of my own because I didn't have to make it that hard on myself either. So there was one thing about that, but there's another thing that just said, I'm defeated and I'm being judged and that didn't feel good. But great. So I can either say, oh, woe is me, or I can do something about it. And I chose to do something about it in two ways. Finish the degree and prove that I could do it with or without the degree. I don't know what a leadership trait is for everyone, but for me, it was a never give up. In entrepreneurship, it's a never give up for me. It's when something says no Either God's going to open a door, or he's going to tell you this isn't the right time. But otherwise, it's never give up. How do I get something done? How do I keep knocking on doors? How do I not be let down? Because all of those things will happen as a part of life. But I am a true never give up person. Mm-hmm. I love that. So you could have chosen to stay as the victim or kept on judging that lady, but you chose to see that as a path. And I love the slogan of never give up. So yeah, that's great. Tanya, you know, you shared what an amazing person your father was. Having education wasn't around you all the time. So that's right. At that point of time, it can also get very lonely, right? It can also get very hard. So who was your go-to person? Were there any mentors in your journey? Where was all this wisdom coming from? (laughs) Good question. You know, it is a good question because I do firmly believe that mentors are important, right? They do give us that wisdom. You know, when when I was growing up, the only mentors that I had were my parents because you didn't have official mentors. It was mom, dad, somebody down the road, you know, a friend, something like that. I think once I started working, you know, I probably was a bit of a sponge. My husband was a true support. I mean, we were like two peas in a pod because we were both kind of super young and trying to figure out this big world by ourselves. I will say, though, that when I started working for GE, there were people in senior positions and it didn't take me long to figure out that if I ride on somebody's coattails and they help me and they support me, that I'm going to get more visibility and more visibility means higher ways up the ladder. And so for that, I always made sure along the way, and I guess you could call them mentors, but I think I looked at it more as instead of you telling me, you know, or mentoring me or coaching me, Let me show you what I can do and help you be successful so that you'll continue to elevate me with you. And that was probably just, you know, I always say I'm not that smart of a person, but I have a lot of common sense. And I think that for me, that was just the way of saying this person is a good person they're working hard. They're doing all the things my dad told me to do. And with that, if I can show them what I can do, then they can help me. And I think for the most part, that was true. That's a great perspective. Let's do the flip. I know you're very passionate about mentoring. Love to talk a little bit about your mentorship journey. You know, 
If someone asked me today, what's your biggest success? And it's going to go back to how people define success. My biggest success is my daughter. There is no two ways in the world to look at another human being that you've raised and you have influenced. And I guess you could call it mentored by default, (laughs) but she is such an amazing young woman and I'm so proud of who she's become. That's where I look at each person in each life that I've touched as a mentor, whether I knew I was mentoring them or not. There's so many of them that are still part of my life and so many of them that are friends and they have families now and they still reach out. That's how Allison and I met, was on a mentoring relationship. And so when I think of being a mentor, it is nothing I have to prepare for. It is me doing a lot better listening than I used to do when I was younger. It's offering for the person I'm mentoring to find their own journey just maybe organizing those thoughts for them a little bit better so that they can see the path. But I think when 90% of those people reach out to you and and tell you the influence you made in their life, I mean, if that isn't what I'm here for, I don't know what it is. I can sort of sense that fulfillment when you were sharing this. Oh my gosh, it's so fulfilling, right? Right so fulfilling. I make time for it. I have very little time, but when I do make time, it's just so rewarding. I think it's, you know, listen, I have a million amazing women in my life. I was paired with in a mentoring relationship. Her name is Cynthia Nubani, and she is a love. And I think she is just one of the most amazing women I've ever met. But when we met, We were polar opposite as two people could be. She was from a different country, a different culture. She was just graduating from her master's. She was off to her first professional job. She had two young girls, a husband, a busy life, a laundry list of what she wanted to accomplish yesterday. And... I was a businesswoman going, oh my goodness, you're going to rule the world tomorrow and I don't even know where to start. So I remember thinking, I don't know what I can teach you, but there's a reason somebody put us together. So let's try it out. And it was funny. We became very good friends. We're still friends today and we still watch each other grow every single day and It was after our mentorship journey that she had done a podcast and talked about how she grew up in poverty in her country and lived on church benches with her mom. And she had never told me this story at all. And I was, number one, so taken back. But then she talked about just kind of her culture and how the two of us kind of came together. And we talked about, even though the difference was that we were from very, very different backgrounds, we still had the same values and we were still wives and parents and businesswomen that were trying to make it. And through that talking to one another, there were a lot of things in common that I didn't realize that she took so much away from. And so I love her to death to this day. Like I said, I see her as much as I can. And, you know, she sent back a lot of messages to me about a relationship that I didn't even know that I helped her in any way. I thought we just became really good friends. So it's amazing. I received so many notes from people that I wasn't sure if I connected to if I really help them in any way. And it's just been like the biggest blessing ever next to my daughter. (laughs) You know, Tanya, it's very interesting. I'm hearing that you go with approach, which is probably I want to help somebody and I just want to trust the process. 
right? And of course, you know, I can hear fulfilling stories and so on and so forth. But I still am wondering, what is it that just kept you going? Like, was it an exploratory nature? Or was it just about people? Yeah. So is that making sense? Listen, I think I'm always learning. I hope the last day of my life, I've still learned something. And I look at things as the day I stop learning or the day I stop giving or the day I stop doing or I'm not curious about something at work or home or someone's life or something, then that spark in me is somehow dying. And I just love kind of growing. And I keep wondering, well, I did that. I hear about these people that kind of start their careers or start something amazing that they've done in their life and they're in their 60s. And I'm thinking, well, shoot, I can do more. You know, I don't see myself ever retiring because I've just always got this striving curiosity for what's next and what else can I do and how else can I learn and find those amazing people Like I've taken a season off from mentoring and I keep walking around going, I think I need to offer up my time some because I miss it. I miss these people's lives. I miss learning about them and laughing about all the things that I don't know that they know or that they do. Sidekick little note. I was interviewing a young gentleman the other day that had just graduated from college And he's sitting there, and in the first 10 minutes, he uses the word dude four times. And I finally stopped him. I just looked at him, and I said, is dude a Gen X or Gen Y or Z, wherever we are now, term? And he goes, did I say dude? And I said, yeah, four times. I didn't mean to, like, embarrass him or anything, but I could not get focused off the fact that this is the way that we're speaking now. And I said, I just want you to understand that you're talking to three people in this room, two are under the age of 40, and I'm over the age of 60. So no one caught him saying this but me. And I said, your audience of who's going to be interviewing you is probably going to be closer to my age than theirs. And, you know, he caught himself a couple more times. But then I was so interested. Is that just part of language? (laughs) (laughs) It seems so casual, you know? Yeah. But it was kind of funny. We all kind of laughed about it. But all to say, you know, it's like I'm learning every day something new about what they say or what they do or how they look at things or how they process things. And I am a little intrigued by him. Like, I really am. (laughs) Yeah, I love that. I think I've also found the answer to my question. I can see that for you, it's a mutually rewarding relationship. And which is so true of mentoring, right? You are giving, but you're getting way more than what you're giving. And I can relate to that totally, given that I just love both coaching and mentoring myself. I'm going to shift gears a little bit. In fact, I want to bring you back to your journey as a C-suite executive. Any mistakes in your journey as a C-suite executive? And with the wisdom of hindsight, you know, what were your learnings? Yeah, I mean, I have had the polar opposites in my career, right? The large corporate C-suite and then being an entrepreneur. And totally different ways of thinking Well, number one, to answer your question, have I made mistakes? Oh, about 10 million. But I think, you know, for me, and I tell this to so many people that talk about everything from mistakes to regrets to anything, it's all part of our journey. And every single one of those is an opportunity for learning. I don't really use the word failure because I don't think we fail. I think we are meant to make those mistakes to learn from them. If we didn't, we'd never know what's right or wrong or what works or doesn't work. I just turn everything like that into a positive, if it can be. Some things are not that great, period. So I don't have any regrets. I think every mistake I made was there for a reason and I was meant to learn from it and 
take it as an opportunity to change, to do something different in a more positive manner. So I think corporate America is hard because there's a lot of agendas that have to be met. Everyone is fighting for their own agenda to basically win. And so the layers in C-suite and corporate America become political. And when you do have a true entrepreneurial spirit, that's hard. It's just hard because you don't understand it. You can play the game, but at some point you don't feel like you are adding anything to it and it doesn't matter how much you get paid at that point you're a miserable human and that's when you get out and you just say if I go broke tomorrow I'd rather go broke happy and being true to myself and learning everything I could learn and giving back in this life than I would collecting money. And I think that's kind of how I defined it for myself when I left corporate America. But remember, my dad's an entrepreneur, so it's in my blood. So taking those risks and wanting to find out how big the rewards could be was just something that I was willing to gamble. And I think it was worth it because I learned so much about myself as a person, there were things in corporate America they told me I couldn't do, but only because I didn't have the experience doing them. And so then you go out and start a business and you're doing your entire business based on what someone told you you never really had the capability to do. Well, you'd never know unless you stepped out and did it. So I do think that goes back to a lot of the drive and entrepreneurial spirit and what you desire. If you desire money, you know, corporate America may be the best place for a lot of people that make a lot of money and they're happy doing it. But there was just always something that drove me a little bit further. And it wasn't money as a priority. You've already answered another question, which <laughs> was there in my mind. So I, I love that, you know, I was wanting to sort of explore with you because you bring a unique experience, you know, transitioning from corporate America to entrepreneurship which is not easy and I think it's just about passion and really wanting to do all that you want to do you know I love the way you shared that job is not about really purpose it's about fulfilling your personal objectives and agendas yes yes and that's different for all of us you know and there's no right or wrong answer Absolutely. because th there are people that would never do what I did and that's okay Right. You know, I had a very interesting call with one of my clients yesterday, and she's a CEO, and love to get your perspective on it. It's great that we can work from a place of wisdom and choose to see the positive. But how did you deal with incompetence or average performance? Because <laughs> <laughs> God knows it's out there. <laughs> yes. And I can't even begin to tell you how disappointed and unhappy my client was that day because she's raring to go. You know, she has so many things on her agenda. While as a coach, I am not meant to think about it later, but I can't help at some level even feeling bad for her that I don't want her to only compromise. But then how does she traverse this journey? Love to get your perspective on this, Tanya. Yeah, yeah. Listen, it's kind of about what I said earlier. We're all built certain ways, right? We have certain things we believe and we have certain biases and we grew up a certain way and that might have changed or molded our thinking about the way we think and things. People have insecurities and insecurities drive a lot of bad things in work situations. And so when I look at that, you know, I can think of my experience in GE. And the only thing I can say is a lot of times you were given people from other departments, maybe they weren't performing well in another department or whatever the case may be. And all of a sudden they're on your doorstep and they become your problem. And people are 80% almost of any job. I mean, it is a fact that dealing with people is the most critical thing that happens in everybody's day. And it can be 
a huge waste of time or it can be a huge growing part of time. But what I learned about people in general is if they're not performing, I give less and less time to them. Because here's the way I look at it is if people don't perform or if people are not happy in a position or something, they need to be somewhere else. And you're in the way of their journey if you ride it out with them. Because neither person is going to be happy. They're not happy, which is why they're not performing most of the time. Maybe they are just incompetent. But if that's the case, they're in the wrong role anyway. And I learned, especially as I became an entrepreneur and felt like I more directly responsible for these people's existence. But 99% of the time, if you think or talk to anyone about, oh, they got laid off from a position or they got fired or something happened, whatever that was, their next step was better than their last. And I think once I realized that that was the case, you know, it's like treat everyone as fairly as you can, give them every opportunity to improve. But if that's not there, then make an action that is going to change that situation for you or for them. And whatever that is, do it. Because no one's being benefited. And the longer it goes on, the more sacrifice people are making. And it's not a good sacrifice. So I think it's not meant to be a cold position or an unempathetic position. It's just a truth. And I think once I started looking at it that, that way and realized that most of the time I could follow up with that same person and they were better off today than they were in the position, it was a positive. And that's a hard decision to make because a lot of people don't like conflict. They don't like to let go of people. Companies are afraid of being sued and all kinds of things. But most of the time, it turns out better for all involved. Thank you for that, Tanya. And I hope she gets to listen to your conversation and it adds to her perspective as she takes decisions going forward. <laughs> the other flip side to that is I have had mentees too that have been in positions where the wrong person is above them. And those are things you likely can't change. And if you can't change that for them, you've got to change it for yourself. And a lot of times that means leaving that company or finding another position. So I think our journeys are our journeys for a reason, but there's change in those journeys for a reason and change can be really good. Awesome. And I'm asking you very difficult questions. So stop me when you think. No, Emma, no, this problem. Is because... <laughs> no. How will people in GE describe you? So this morning you asked me about that and I'm going to read you. So I actually have a bunch of girlfriends that are GE and we have a little group text. And the group text is called GE Girls. And so I sent them a note and I said, I'm about to do a podcast in an hour. And one of the questions is, how will people in GE describe you? I said, go question mark. <laughs> and here's what I got. The first one that still works for GE says, since I'm in GE, I guess I'll reply. I would describe you as honest, hardworking, effective, loyal, and empathetic. And she says, well, scratch the last one, but I hope this helps. Uh, next one says can do finds ways to get things done bridge builder facilitator the third one says mentor and effective leader the second one says you know i'm just kidding about the empathy thing <laughs> <laughs> then it says great leader visionary inclusive and a selfless mentor i like selfless mentor one of them says so that was the the comments that i got back from the ge girls which I said, well, regardless of what happens, y'all made my day today. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> yep. So you also shared with me that I traversed a journey from being a tyrant to being a more approachable person and owning my own actions. Yep. Yep. Talk to us about that transition or that self-awareness or 
who would have said that to you then if you were still in GE? Where are those people sitting? Yeah. Okay. Well, those people were people that, for lack of a better word, were vendors and people that looked at me as someone I could control them, right? They were people that worked on properties that I managed that were intimidated by me. I was like in an asset management position. And GE was a very egotistical environment. And I wouldn't say I was short on ego working for GE. Now, do I think it is the person I am today? Nope, not at all. But at that time, yes, it was. And I remember going to a property that was in Minnesota. And I was trying to get some problems to why they had some occupancy issues and things like that, that we couldn't get solved. I remember approaching the property manager and saying, we really need to get these problems solved. And I'm really not feeling I'm getting the feedback that I need from you or from your staff. And she looked me square in the eye and she said, Tanya, they're afraid of you. And I said, excuse me? And she said, they're afraid of you. They're afraid to talk to you. And I'm thinking, hmm. So I remember going to bed that night in the hotel and me thinking about it. And I texted her that night and said, I'd like to have a meeting with all of the staff at 8.30 and I'll bring breakfast. So I stopped by a place, got some bagels, whatever, took them in. And all of them are there with their hands in front of them and nobody's even thinking about opening their mouth. And I remember really having just an conversation with them about apologizing, saying, I am so sorry if I've come across a manner that you don't feel comfortable approaching me. And that's not what I want for you or for this community. And we ended up spending about an hour discussing the issues. They did slowly open up. But I remember leaving that trip and thinking, wow. Is that the way you want to be seen? I mean, granted, it ended out on a positive note, but how many people had not said that to me? Or did I really believe that it was the truth? And was I kind of living on that high? Regardless, I walked away and made a definite change because I didn't want people to see me as that kind of person because I didn't think I, at my core, was that person. So, you know, I could have kept down the power path, but I chose to change it because I just didn't feel like in my gut that's who I was. And it was kind of sad that someone will perceive you that way. So that was a kind of a life altering moment. I remember it very well. And it was something that I chose to do something about. That's such a powerful story, Tanya. And, you know, you've said it a number of times that I decided to change. Right. So I know that's a long conversation, but what comes to your mind? What is that change that you made? Because like you said, deep inside in your gut, you were not that kind of a person. Yeah. I mean, I think any time that people see you and I would say most people would see me as a very strong woman, not afraid to speak my mind, not afraid to give an opinion, seems confident. Right. So. I think that when you're seen that way, a lot of people don't really know you. That's the outward crust, and they don't really know you. Um, I think if you ask my daughter, she'd say, oh, my gosh, my mom is super sensitive, very giving, very loving, a very huggy person. I mean, I cry at Winnie the Pooh. And, you know, she would just say, You don't know my mom like I know my mom. And so as I started venturing into entrepreneurship and maybe just later in life, I realized that I really want people to know that you can be a strong woman, but still be yourself and still be kind of that gentle person that I want people to know I have the side they don't often see that I still have. And that's when I started moving away from the person that I think I was at GE, which was always hard, go, 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 never turn it off, 
corporate America, blah, blah, blah. And I think some of my mentoring helped that too, because I'm relating to people more and different than I ever did at GE. And so, kind of, like I said, no regrets. Wouldn't have traded my time there. And when I learned from it for anything in the world. Yeah, you're talking basically about a lot of vulnerability, right? Uh, let people know me as a person and not just as Tanya. Yeah. yeah. Gee, is like your business degree, a 10-year business degree, <laughs> right? Was. Yeah. But with the wisdom of hindsight, Tanya, would you have brought in vulnerability in your leadership style? Looks like you've sort of evolved into that much later. Honestly, I think a lot of times what we do is we put on our coat of armor when we're still insecure about who we are. And I think some of that probably happened in my GE days because I was fighting for my own self. And there was a lot of vulnerability just personally to just go into those battles. So it was much easier to keep the suit of armor on and not let anyone know I was vulnerable, especially when I still had a fight to fight. Luckily, we get older in life and we get really comfortable with who we are. And the good, bad, and the ugly. And I think when we do, we can open up and be more vulnerable because we're really comfortable with who we are. We've learned, we've fought the battles, we've won the wars, and we're okay with all of that for the most part. Yep. We all have to go through that journey of first being secure, comfortable, and then show vulnerability and be your own person. Yeah. Because one of the things we all talk about is, do you have imposter syndrome every single day? I do not know a human that doesn't. And if they don't, good for them, but there's something else wrong. I would be disappointed if I didn't. As much as someone would say I'm successful and all those things, I just feel like a normal person. Like I don't live on a big power play or anything like that. I'm just loving my life and happy and blessed for what I've got, what I've been given, what I've had the opportunity to do, who I've met. I'm just thankful for all of it. That's beautiful. Tanya, let's now move to your entrepreneurial journey. And it's just so interesting when I think about Alison, your partner, she's almost half your age. Right. So how did that partnership come about? Share with us the dynamic. Yeah, yeah. So Allison and I met about 10 years ago in a mentoring relationship. And it was through a Christian women's organization that I had a desire to help them start their mentoring program because I was involved in a lot of mentoring programs just because I loved it. Right. And so Allison and I were paired together. And at that time, my daughter was in college. And Allison, even though she says I'm a lot older than your daughter, she's not. I said, I'm still old enough to be your mother. <laughs> <laughs> and not only was she going through a time in her life personally that she just needed some advice and didn't necessarily need that advice from her mom, I also was going through a time in my life where my daughter was in college and she's an only child. And so Allison became like a second daughter to me. And to this day, I would say the same thing. And so we spent a lot of time just, again, I mentor a lot of people that I stay in touch with and that we talk over the years. And that was no different with Allison and I. There became times in her career that she needed someone to help her get her voice out there and she wasn't being heard. And I'd like to think that in those instances, I stepped up for her and used my influence and my peers to say, hey, ladies, this shouldn't go on in our community, especially to these young women that we feel so strongly about. And, you know, that resulted in some changes and it was not only for Allison, but I felt very passionately about it just to get it out to my peer group to say, hey, guys, hang on a minute. Are we paying attention or are we just going about our day to day? And Allison and I just over the years have had that relationship. And in 2020, a lot of things changed for a lot of people. I sold my first business, Heart Advisors Group. And Allison approached me and said, 
what if we did something together? Now, she says, I approached her, but we'll both go to our graves with who approached who. But it doesn't really matter. Two years later, that's been an amazing journey. It's been one we've been careful about because we do have a personal relationship that's very important to both of us. But we're learning and growing together, and we have a lot in common in how we approach business. She's a hard worker. I like to think as direct as I am, she is polished and just gracious and such an amazing young woman. And I'm just really happy to have been given the opportunity to do a second business and more importantly, to do it with someone like her. That's a beautiful story again. You know, how the relationship has evolved into something completely different, right? Yeah, yeah. Tana, you also shared that the business you set up is almost like a legacy for your father. Mm -hmm. Tell us more about that. Well, there's no two ways that, you know, Hart is my maiden name. So when I started Hart Advisors, I actually started it the year that my father passed away. And, you know, I never thought about naming it anything different. It just was what it was. And, you know, we just went down the road. I had no idea what I was doing or where I was going to start. That was in the 0809 recession. I like to say I started a business doing something I didn't know how to do. But again, that goes back to, you know, having been in those business relationships at GE where they said, you don't have to know the product, you just have to be able to lead. And so I believe that 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 kind of was a fear I didn't quite have because I'd kind of done something like that before. So to me, financial services were financial services and I could do that. And so I just went to selling myself and selling my past. And before you knew it, that business was born. I ran that business for 12 years, sold it two years ago, almost two and a half years ago now, right in 2020, because it was a distressed debt business. So it was a good time to sell. I needed a change. It was a hard business. It being my first business and growing a business, not really knowing how to do it, not having any partners, trying to navigate not only entrepreneurship, but just that business world was difficult. And quite frankly, I was tired when I sold it. I needed something new. I needed something refreshing. I needed a new way to look at um, kind of my next chapter. And then, you know, I, I used to say every time I wanted to throw in the towel, God opened another door. And before I knew it, I looked up and Allison was there. So <laughs> the rest was now where we are now. But we're having a great time and we're still learning from one another a lot. We're still navigating our business relationship and balancing it with our personal relationship. And I think that'll go on for a while. But for me, Allison is the next generation of what I think and her team will be ultimately the next generation of real estate in Dallas and the heart name will be on it. So I know I will be proud of that. And I know my dad would be proud. Sorry to hear about his passing away, but I can totally see him feeling so proud of his daughter. Yeah, he has four girls and I'm the only one that went into an entrepreneurship. So I know he'd be happy about that. Tanya, this has been so lovely. I mean, I can go on and on. Absolutely. I could talk on and on too. Totally. I can hear your passion. And I said this to you earlier, I'm the daughter of an entrepreneur myself and I can see that gene in me. (laughs) Exactly. I think it's a given, but I'd still love you to articulate it. What factors then will you attribute this incredible success to? Oh, to God give the glory, right? First and foremost, my dad, definitely. The people who believed in me and the people that taught me humility. Because it really all is about that. It's really about the people that give you the ability to do something else. And everything else is just 
something else, right? And that's why I say my daughter's my biggest success because, I mean, you can only pour so much into work or a thing or something. But what you pour into people is forever. And so I think that is how I'd have to say I define my success. Since Atlanta Diaries is a place where aspiring women leaders learn and unlearn their definitions of success, what are your parting thoughts for these leaders as they transition into larger roles? Knowing your values, whatever that is, whatever value means to you, and I don't mean just what you give to something, your integrity, your reputation, whatever you believe in and you don't want to waver from, don't waver from it. Work hard. Don't fall into any socially defined category and be proud of everything you do. Thank you very much, Tanya. This was absolutely amazing. (laughs) Absolutely. And you were so sweet because there's so many amazing women, yourself included, that have been a part of this. While my journey seems very simple to me, I hope that there's something that someone gleams out of it that helps them just with their daily life. So, yeah, and I really appreciate all the candidness and, you know, examples you brought in this conversation. That's what that's what makes Atlanta Diaries a powerful platform. Well, you're amazing for doing it and for sharing your journey as well. So thank you for letting me be a part of it. Thank you, Tanya. Thank you very much for listening. All my guests have brought their most vulnerable selves on Atlanta Diaries. And even if a small segment of these conversations can help champion the journey of one person, it's going to be really worth it. I do have a request for you. Please share this podcast on your social media and with your family and friends. Our society is constantly evolving and Atlanta Diaries must too. I really appreciate if you can leave your feedback in the form of a review or a rating. These are impactful and rousing stories that need to be shared far and wide. See you next time for another one on Atlanta Diaries.